Episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are striving and surviving and thriving. <laughs> All the ings in these quarantine streets. So today is day, I don't even know, of the quarantine. I know I came on with such authority, like I knew what I was talking about. But yesterday I saw somebody post on Instagram that it was day 58 of the quarantine. And I could have sworn we might have been in day 40 something because last week I remember saying we were in day like 36 or 37. But then again, I had to remember that we all started quarantine on different dates. <laughs> um, I think the fact of the matter is, is that we are still on lockdown, at least here in New York City. We haven't been given privileges like Atlanta. Um, but I think, I don't know, it's just another day, another, it's not another dollar, but it's another day. <laughs> <laughs> another day and just I don't know I don't know I'm really interested to hear how some of you guys are really making it out you know during this quarantine lockdown I know you know via social media I've seen a lot of you guys have become personal chefs you guys are cooks some of you guys have become DJs we have some talk show hosts out there um, so people are really tapping into their creativity but I really would like to hear from you guys, slide up in my DMs, according to RP on Instagram, or send me an email, according to RP at gmail.com, and really let me know what you guys are actually up to. Like, what have you guys done? I know some people have even picked up musical instruments. So, you know, although we're in lockdown, we, you know, a lot of us are really taking the time to kind of delve into things that, you know, we never had time to do. So I guess that's the silver lining in all of this. I also wanted to say Ramadan Mubarak to all of my Muslim brothers and sisters all over who are tuning into the show. I know we are in the midst of the Ramadan season. And some of you guys probably didn't expect to be going through Ramadan like this. However, I've heard from a lot of my Muslim friends, though, that they're actually kind of grateful that they're able to spend Ramadan at home with their families. And they don't have to really endure with the hustle and bustle of getting up, taking the train, going to work and doing all these things. But they could actually be at home and, in, you know, with, I guess, in peace and in oneness um, with God. So, you know, may Allah grant you guys the strength for this Ramadan season and in hopefully inshallah uh, things will get better soon so I also wanted to give my condolences out to my friends and family who you know who have lost people this week I'm not going to be doing this every week because it's going to get depressing but you know I got some bad news again yesterday of two individuals that were near and dear to our hearts that passed away and so I just wanted to take this time to give my condolences because a lot of us are going through it I mean last week I had several friends who lost parents, like fathers, their mothers. And, it, you know, this devastation is just wreaking havoc on our mental health and it's just wreaking havoc on our lives. And a lot of us are really going through it, especially right now. We're not able to give the proper burials. We're not able to send our loved ones off in the way that they deserve. 
And more importantly, we're not able to come together to really mourn with each other, especially with the black community. Like that's how we do. When somebody passes away, we all get together. We camp out at their houses. We, you know, go hard or go home when it comes to the funerals. We really do our best to to make our presence known in, in you know in the in the lives of those who are missing their loved ones. And so it's a really sad time right now. Every time I get a notice that one of my friends lost their parents. It's like, man, like, you know, you don't even know how to really act right now. But my heart goes out to everybody who is dealing with, you know, coronavirus related deaths and even those who have who have passed away unrelated to coronavirus because we still can't bury you either. Um, so it's just a really trying time, but I just wanted to let you guys know that my thoughts and prayers are with you guys out there and just to hold on, hold on to your faith and just know that although we don't understand what's going on right now, that God always has a plan for all of us. So today we have a very special guest by the name of Kim Lumsford. She is a mental health professional based here in New York City with over 20 years of experience. And today we are going to talk about mental health in the black community with a special focus on suicide, particularly affecting the young black male population. It's actually cited as a healthcare crisis for young black males living in America. And a lot of us wouldn't wouldn't think that. When we think about suicide, we think about white people. I mean, that's just what it is. But it's really affecting our male youth. And so Kim is going to come on. She's going to talk about that. But also, more importantly, we are living in a pandemic right now. And mental health is 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 on the rise as we speak, and it's going to conti- it's going to get even worse after this pandemic is over. And so we are going to talk about the implications of COVID on mental health right now and moving forward, and maybe some of the things that we can do to keep our sanity while in the household. A lot of us, we got them kids in the house, <laughs> and we were not used to dealing with our children for this long of a period of time. We were grateful to send them off to school and to get a break. We are literally in the houses with these kids. Some of them, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're dubbing them little terrorists and we have, it's like a learning process and we are going through it. And so we, you know, we need to figure out how to, how to live with each other, how to deal with each other. So hopefully this episode will be able to give you guys some sort of insight as to how to really deal with your, you know, with your sanity during a crazy, crazy time like this. But you guys know, before we get into the meat of the show, we always have our preliminaries. So let's get right into them. It is now time for the Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? May I have the definition? Um, what does keep keep mean? That's on fleek. Can you use it in a sentence? And it's gonna be lit. Major key. It's time for the Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week. So this week's Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week is COVID thirty (laughs) eight. So COVID-38 is a person who has been unlucky enough to contract the coronavirus or COVID-19 virus twice. Example. Dude one, I feel like shit. This is the second time I've contracted the coronavirus. Dude two, I feel for you, bro. It's tough being a COVID-38. Now, the person who submitted this is A underscore fool. That's exactly who you are, sir. That's exactly what you are, a fool. COVID-38. I mean, I guess we have to find some sort of humor through all of this. But I guess when you really think about it, though, is there really any humor in catching the coronavirus twice, let alone once? 
Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. But apparently COVID-38 is a term that's been submitted to the Urban Dictionary, um, you know, I guess directory. I don't know if anybody is using it, has been using it. I mean, it's one of those corny jokes that's not really a joke, but then you're like, man. Um, but apparently that's <laughs> COVID-38. Interesting, interesting. And, you know, speaking of which, it's interesting that this is even a thing because in the beginning of this coronavirus situation, you know, it, we were led to believe that once you caught it, you weren't going to catch it again because you have now built some sort of immunity to it. So you were, you would not, you know, get a second dose of the coronavirus, but as time will tell, which seems to be the case when it comes to the reportings of the coronavirus. That is not true. People are getting reinfected. People are getting, you know, people are catching it twice. Um, and so I guess this COVID-38 thing, you know, essentially, I guess when you really look at it, it is a thing. But I don't think that I would really go around using this phrase and, and telling people, oh, you got the COVID-38. I mean, it's it's not really funny. And I think some people would really get offended. So that this might be one of the terms that, you know, OK, we're aware that it's out there, but let's put it let's put it back in the box. Let's put it back in the box. So that is the Urban Dictionary word or phrase of this week. So we are now up to one of my favorite sections of the show. It is now time for the Big Up of the Week. So this week's Big Up of the Week actually goes out to the restaurateurs out there who are really making their presence known in the communities. So since the beginning of this coronavirus situation, I have been seeing a lot of businesses, uh, a lot of, you know, um, restaurants, bakeries, etc., coming together and really providing meals for the community and for the healthcare workers. And so for me, I think this is a really good, good gesture. I think it's a great gesture. And I think it's one that we should really highlight. We really need to highlight and give a round of applause even to our restaurateurs out there because they are losing money every single day. People are not dining in, obviously. People are afraid to even order out food. But instead of shutting down completely, they are repurposing themselves and they are serving the community. They are providing meals, free meals to healthcare workers and essential workers out there. And they are even going it a step further and providing meals for the community. As you know, especially those of us living in New York City, hunger is a real thing in these streets. Like, it's not like, oh, I only ate two meals today. There are people out there who have nothing to eat and have no means to really obtain food. And so it's really up to these, you know, a lot of these businesses that are out here who are actually preparing and serving hot meals to the community. So I just wanted to give a round of applause to all of the rest restaurateurs, all of the food. Um, I don't know. I guess is restaurateur a word for all food businesses? I don't know. The bakeries, the pizzerias, the restaurants, any establishment that that is in the business of making food. Thank you so much for being selfless in a sense. It is not an easy time. And as those of us who are, you know, glued to the news, as we as we have seen as of late, um, the 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 funds, the SBA funds, the loans, the grants that a lot of us were really hoping to get you know, are not really available. So we have a lot of mom and pop restaurants out there who are struggling to keep their doors open and yet are still finding a way to feed the population. So round of applause for you. 
And I encourage you guys to continue doing the great work. And those of us who have the means to still, you know, order food or donate money to these restaurants, donate money to these bakeries and these other food establishments, let's do our part. If we're still getting a paycheck, a full paycheck, um, you know, let's let's do our part and let's support these businesses who are supporting the community. So let's 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 all, you know, get in there together. So with every high, you guys know that there is a low. There is a low. <laughs> and the low this week, again, I cannot shake this guy. Every time I want to move on to a different type of womp womp, Senor Trump, resident agent Cheeto, Agent Orange is always at the forefront with some sort of mess. Like, it's scary. That's my scary music, guys. <laughs> but no, seriously. So for those of us who have been, you know, in these interweb streets, you guys know that our our illustrious uh, <laughs> president, Donald Trump, had made some remarks with respect to um, disinfectant being a potential way to cure the coronavirus. Now, I had been in talks with some of my friends during the week after you know, the news outlets went crazy and Lysol and Clorox had to issue statements stating that it is not healthy to drink their cleaning fluids and that people should not and should refrain from drinking any type of disinfectant as a, you know, as a way to cure the coronavirus. Some of my friends thought that, you know what, the media was just going crazy. The media took it too far. They misconstrued what Senor Trump was saying and that, you know, we're just looking for fanfare. And I mean, you know, I, I can understand that because I think at this point, you know, people are looking for for ways to sensational, sensationalize um, certain things in the news outlets. However, not too long after uh, Trump, you know, was, I guess, blasted for making these statements with regards to the disinfectant. And I actually saw the, the, the news, um, the press conference. He apologized, saying that, you know what, he was being sarcastic when he said that disinfectants could be used for the coronavirus. So by him coming out and making the statement that he was just being sarcastic, that he really didn't mean that Clorox and Lysol injections would, you know, assist in the fight against COVID goes to show that he actually said what he said. <laughs> there was no misconstruing of his information. There was no, no in misconstruing of his press conference when he was referring to disinfectant, you know, injecting disinfectants into the body as a way to cure COVID. Now, I know he was talking about ultraviolet rays. And so some people thought that maybe he was conflating the two. But no, I am. I have become an expert in Trump isms and Trump language. And as soon as I heard it, I knew he was talking about disinfectant. It was not one and the same. He is not that intelligent to even make that type of conflation. So, but what I, the reason that he's womp womp again is because it's just so disheartening because as the reports have shown lately, people have followed and heeded the advice 
of uh, Senor Trump and have been injecting themselves with cleaning fluids. They have been drinking cleaning, um, you know, uh, cleansing, cleansing fluids. And people have died from this. And it's all because he cannot speak. I don't understand. You know, we have so many departments. We have so many heads. There are so many experts that could have come forth and state whatever it was that he was trying to state about the uv lights and i don't know but it's like he needs to be at the forefront of everything and he's confusing the masses and he is dangerous he is dangerous because his words are literally killing people now some of you might say well you know we all know that trump is stupid and it's to the detriment of those who are listening to him well we live in a society of dimwits most Americans are not intelligent. Most Americans get their health information, their political information from the interwebs and on social media. Like this is the country that we live in. This is the society that we live in. People do not investigate things for themselves. People do not say, hmm, Clorox cleaner. Let me think about that. Being in a disinfectant, injecting myself with Clorox or Lysol will help me fight Corona. Hmm. Let me think about that. People don't most people are not doing that. They're just saying, wow, this is what the president says. As if homeboy has a degree in public health, a degree in, you know, I don't know, pharmacology, a degree in medicine. He has nothing of the sort. I don't even know if he has a degree. I think he does. But either way, <laughs> whatever degree he may or may not have has nothing to do with the medical field with the far you know pharmacological field with public health with anything like that so most of the things that are coming out of his mouth are just you know trump ideations they're trumpisms they are you know figments of his imagination they are constructs of him they are not based on any type of factual anything and the sad part is he's employed so many cronies that all they can do is just watch and cringe. They watch and cringe as he's speaking. And then instead of coming forth and saying, you know what, let me let me correct, you know, what you just said. They instead issue statements, you know, defending the president or 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 confusing the masses even more. It's really sad. But he is the womp womp of the week again. It's no surprise, but it was just this was just too big to pass. I could not pass on this Clorox wipes disinfectant situation as being a cure to coronavirus. So we are now on to the meat of the show. <laughs> All right, everyone. I'm here with my very special guest, Kim Lumford. Kim, say hello. Hi, everybody. Ramadan Mubarak to all of anybody who's in the room that's Muslim, stay strong. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. I know um, yesterday I had posted on my Instagram, you know, Ramadan Kareem, just bringing in the the spirit and the season of Ramadan. We have a lot of uh, a lot of Muslim followers, which I'm always grateful for. So it's 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 a really Interesting uh, time, right? To be going through this pandemic, yes. but also to be going through the season of Ramadan. So I know a lot of blessings will be pouring out on us at the end of this, right? Right. Inshallah. Right. Okay. So Kim, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, uh, for this portion of what we're discussing. So I've been in the field of mental health slash I call it mental wellness for over 20 years. I started first off with uh, working with clients and patients who have mental disabilities, 
uh, mental development issues. And then as life took me where I am, where I went, I actually got a job placed in an actual mental psychiatric hospital where I, I was able to actually work hands on with all type of disorders and uh, diagnosis anywhere from uh, severe depression, schizophrenia, uh, actual suicide attempts to uh, something even as small as uh, what some people look at as low as anxiety. Mm hmm. And I, I always became fascinated with that uh, because I, I worked with a lot of black and brown people more so in this facility. I rarely saw anybody of, of European slash white descent there. So it just made me more curious to know where, why is it that so many of us are in here? Where a lot of the clients and patients that I used to work with didn't even understand themselves on how they got there, but they knew they were, they needed some sort of attention mm -hmm. mentally. Yeah. So it just made me want to go deeper into it. Well, when it comes to mental health, you know, it's, it's really interesting when we see a lot of the, um, I guess commercials or we see a lot of the, the, you know, the, the, I guess, descriptions of mental illness. We don't necessarily see, um, black faces as much like when we're looking at commercials or we're looking at like programs and things that are aimed at mental mental health awareness um, I, I don't necessarily see you know black faces however you know I've come to understand that mental illness is really affecting the black community probably at higher rates than other communities right well first of all let me give you the, the, the actual definition like so people hear mental illness and really mental illness is actually a wide range variety of mental disorders, right? Mm -hmm. So things that affects people's mood, how they think, how they're thinking and how they actually are behaving, okay. which is in a 10 where you hear uh, rude words like crazy mm -hmm. making or things of that. Now he's, he's insane or she's insane. It's because they're actually displaying some sort of like behavior or their thinking is being misconstrued of that nature. So it's more so there's a, a sickness of the mind. There's a disorder within their brain that because they're speaking something out their mouth, you're not actually tuned into realizing that, Hey, there's some sort of mental disruption going on within this person's brain. Yes. You had mentioned um, anxiety, like, you know, as a lower scale, a lot of people don't really consider anxiety to be mental illness, but it actually is. Right. And, and anxiety can be very high rated. If you think about right now with what we're dealing with today, you may have had someone who you worked with or went to school with or you went to this local store to get your coffee in, this, in the morning. And this person may have been like a fast paced moving person. Hey, good morning. Willing to come up to you and tap you on the shoulder and greet you. Now you see this person. They're very anxious. They're shifty. They're uh, really a little bit disconnected from people now. And that may have been something underlying, but because of what's going on with COVID-19, a lot of people are starting to become very much more identifiable with some sort of mental disorder. Mm -hmm. It just was kind of suppressed. It wasn't really recognizable. Yeah. But I guarantee when, when all of this settles, the mental health it's going to go, it's already starting to go up. It's, yeah. it's already starting to go up. Parents are starting to see it within them children and even within themselves mm -hmm. at home. 
Yeah, no, it's true. I think a lot of us were able to manage, you know, whether it be anxiety or whatever, you know, mental disruption, like you stated earlier, we might have had, we probably might have known that something was a little off, but we were always able to manage it, you know, whether it be through, you know, therapy or just, you know, just figuring out a a course of daily action that can, you know, I guess not make it so apparent. But now that we're forced to, you know, be at home, be in a situation that's so unprecedented. You know where we're falling apart, right? Because basically, anxiety is definitely the definition of of uh, level of fear and worryation. Mm-hmm. So most people are worrying, like, "Oh my God, uh, am I going to get it? Do I have it? Yeah. A- am I displaying symptoms?" If you're an essential worker and your child or your spouse or someone you love has to go out into the community to still provide some sort of service. Mm -hmm. Oh, are they bringing it home? You know, are they going to be safe? It's just a high level of like, uh, fear and anxiousness, you know, the feeling of worrying on a 24 seven basis, which disrupts your normal uh, your normal routine. Yeah. If you drink coffee in the morning, if you drink tea and was comfortably doing these things, oh, I don't even have an appetite now. I can't even eat. Yeah. I don't even want to go outside. These are people who are actually starting to become very recluse and seclude themselves within their homes because of this. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely wreaking havoc, I think, on our mental, you know, well-beings. But even- yes. Like I said, a lot of unidentified diagnoses are going to become identifiable. And even before, you know, COVID-19, you know, mental health obviously was wreaking havoc on on communities. But I guess one thing I wanted to maybe touch on a little bit is why, why is it that the black community appears to be so resistant in identifying and labeling mental illness and mental, you know, disorders within themselves? Well, for one, there's a lot of generational stigmas, Mm -hmm. meaning like uh, depending on what era you were raised in, it just wasn't it wasn't just a normalcy to ask or seek for help. So even to ask and seek for help, if you're a a person who's dealing with any level of stress or any level of disparity, and especially like if you're I mean, just to be quite honest, being black. Is, is stressful enough nowadays, yeah. <laughs> you know, walking down the street, being black yeah. and in all honesty is enough to trigger anybody with a level of post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is a mental, a mental disorder. PTSD is, is what a lot of people don't realize is prevalent within a lot of people in the black and brown yeah. communities. Okay. Because a lot of these places are like high impoverished there are not a lot of people working in these areas. Some of these areas are very high crime written. So just walking from the bus to your building, you're stressed out to hope nobody tries to yeah. rob you. That is a form of a mental concern. That is a disorder. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's been where as uh, not seeking help um, and, and nothing against the brothers in here, the men, mm-hmm. but most men, tend to be more concerned about the stigma and the judgment of what someone would say about them seeking and going to ask help as opposed to a, a black and brown woman. Yeah. Whereas because women are natural born nurturers. So if you're a parent 
of course you're not going to choose to allow yourself to suffer in silence. You're going to go to your doctor and say, hey, uh, you know, something's going on. I'm not feeling well. Like when they ask women after they just delivered a baby, are you okay? Are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling overwhelmed? All of these things are to protect them and also protect the well-being of that newborn because if the parent is feeling overly depressed, she may attempt to harm herself or harm the baby yeah. and and not really knowing that it was something with her chemical imbalance of her brain that triggered that behavior. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's like, we don't go to the doctor and ask these questions because it's not plastered that here, there's a doctor up the block from you. Here's some information for you if you're feeling overwhelmed or feeling the need of some sort of mental assistance. Yeah. It's not enough awareness. It's yeah. really not. It's not enough awareness in our in our communities. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you there. I think that, you know, with the lack of awareness and just people just not under you know not wanting to identify because of the stigmas that you said you know generational stigmas you know people saying things like you know you're crazy uh you know you're acting schizo right insane and nobody wants to be associated with those type of things so even if you might be feeling a little right and i think the thing too is that we have this like machismo thing going on like whether you're black you know a black male or a black woman is that you know where society tells us that we're supposed to take everything right we're supposed to just deal with it right um and you know so going to the doctor to ask for assistance with mental health it's like what is that like what like i'm i'm weak if i'm you know i allowing myself to even go and ask for that type of assistance right so i think that that plays a right. lot into it especially well. when if you know the, and, and you know just to give you uh, a little bit of a stat so, like, between the ages of 18 and 25, uh, 42% in the black community will go and seek help, right? And out of that 40, 42%, most of them are women. Um, 58% don't get any, any treatment. So they're walking around undiagnosed, untreated, and people just see them as they used to say back in the day, they're wilding, they're being all over the place. They just are running amok. Mm -hmm. But what's happening is, is that they, they most likely have some sort of mental disorder that's not being treated. Yeah. That's not being treated. And it, and it, it it goes even further from the ages of 26 to 49, 49% retreat, receive treatment. A large amount of that are the women. Mm -hmm. 51% 51% do not, which is a large percent of the men who yeah. do not go and seek attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because if you think about the numbers in the in the white communities, uh, a large amount of the men do not go, but a large amount of them do go. Mm-hmm. Whereas their numbers are much more, they have a smaller percentage. And that's because in their areas, they raise awareness about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, they raise awareness. It's part of their like, uh, like it's almost part of like their family plan. Like you know, you have the kids from like five years old who are seeing therapists. You know, just for the hell of it. Well, for again, it's it's all about generational learned behaviors where the black and brown. You know, Big Mama might have the leather strap hanging on the door. That's how you get treatment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know, Abuela. 
Abuela might have the chicleta, mm-hmm. and that's how she gives you treatment. Yeah. Whereas in the white communities, they tend to try to talk to their children and acknowledge their emotions mm-hmm. and acknowledge their feelings. Whereas in our communities, you know, you shut up, you yeah. be quiet, you speak when somebody is talking to you, mm-hmm. meaning your voice or your words don't have no reign in this household. So you're automatically telling them right then and there that they do not matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's so true because, you know, even as myself, as, as a parent, my son, he's 13, I was telling you this offline. Like, I find that I'm, you know, a lot of the things that I hated my, my mom doing to me, like not acknowledging my voice, not accepting me as a human being, you know, I feel like slowly but surely when I interact with my kid that it's almost the same thing. Like, hey. Did I tell you to speak? You know, I don't really care what the issue is. Like, this is my way or the highway. And I, you know, it, it takes time for me to sit back and think like, this can't be healthy. You know, I, I made it. Thank God. <laughs> but, you know, with the way that the, the, the world is right going now, these kids don't res- these kids don't do what we did. <laughs> Right. They don't respond. And, and, and I and I agree with you on that because when I sit back and think about it, I think about it on I survived it, but what part of me did not. Yeah, that's true too. You know, because there are parts of it that un, un unsubconsciously that you don't realize did not survive mm-hmm. that treatment where certain parts in your life are lacking some sort of void because of that treatment of your voice being put on mute or just being turned off completely. You know, so I always say, thank you, God, I survive it and I'm healing the void. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. That is so true. So with respect to like the conversation of mental illness, you know, a lot of times when, when we do talk about it, right. When there is some sort of awareness in the communities, They talk about depression, but they don't really talk about, you know, suicide, which is a topic that many people thought was a white person's thing. People thought that only white people are killing themselves because black people, we believe in God. We know better. We don't do things like that. But it was alarming to me, I think, in a conversation with you a a while ago to find out that, you know, suicide is very prevalent in the black community, particularly the young black male community. So if we could just talk about, you know, that, you know, as being a critical health issue, I think is what they're categorizing it right now. You know, if you could just talk about suicide, what, you know, not necessarily just what it is, but how is that actually prevalent in our communities and how are we missing that? A lot of times with that, with, with suicide or suicide ideations, which is the actual attempt of trying to take your own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't know what to do or what to say or what's being presented to them or what's the signs of a person who is actually in the process of attempting to take their own life. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, I'll just give you a few things that you need to, you would want to watch out for. If this person is starting to say things like, you know, do I have life insurance? Like if a child, if you're, if you're a teenager, Oh mom, are you paying all the bills? Like, did you pay my life insurance wow. this month? Or if you start seeing this child start giving away things or this individual giving away things, uh, if you start hearing them talking as if tomorrow isn't going to be prevalent for them, Mm -hmm. those are some of the things or the symptoms of a person who 
may be in the process of actually thinking about taking their life Mm -hmm. or planning to take their life, you know? So it's, it's a lot about us teaching the awareness of what to look for, the actual signs and symptoms that go along with suicide. A lot of times, again, like I said, because of generational teachings, you won't, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. And even if you were brought up in that same like environment, but like I said, you survived it, Mm -hmm. but some part of you missed the void of it and you just, I mean, there was a situation with a young, a uh, young black kid. He, I think he was 11 years old and this was a child that was consistently being bullied and he was suffering in silence and he wasn't telling his mother and she went in the room and I believe this young man hung himself with his belt in the closet. Wow. So if, if the mother would have possibly been trained a little bit on no, noticing that he was becoming withdrawn Noticing he stopped asking for his favorite cereal in the morning Mm -hmm. that he's telling her, I do not want to go to school. And, you know, she's forcing him to go to his own personal hell in a sense. Like, you don't know what I'm going through in this school to the point where he lost so much hope as a child that he said, she's not listening to me. The school isn't listening to me. Mm -hmm. No one's going to ever help me. And I can't choose to live like this anymore. So a lot of times we become unaware of the actual signs that someone is crying out without saying, I'm feeling like killing myself and I, and I'm possibly going to do it. If someone doesn't reach out and give me a help, give me some form of help. Mm -hmm. So they actually do have a lot of training out there now where one of, before this happened with COVID-19, um, I go around to certain communities and certain venues And I conduct mental health training Mm -hmm. where that's one of the things I discuss in the black and brown community, especially amongst the young people. Because like I said, the numbers are low, although they're high, meaning the ages are low now. Have five-year-olds talking about, oh, I hate my life. I want to kill myself. That is what they call suicidal ideation. That is not something that you ignore. You don't say stop talking like that. No, you address that. You address that because it'll just tend to go on and go on and go on until here you have a five-year-old who's rushed to the hospital from taking a whole bottle of Tylenol or eating a whole bottle of children's vitamins saying, I'm tired of living like this. And, you know, they're trying to attempt a suicide uh, action. Yeah. So it's a lot of listening, a lot of listening. And I think that that's one thing we lack because as you're explaining, you you were talking about the, the, the signs, some of the things to look for. And I'm just thinking, you know, growing up, you know, my mother would have missed all of that because the parents are just so, you know, they're, they're at work, they're working two, three jobs, did not listen to their kids. And then it's, it's, it's like, stop talking nonsense. Like, you know, if I were to say something like, I want to kill myself, my mom would be like, you right. know, oh, stop. that's crazy. Yeah. Like you're silly or they would, you know, the, the alternative would you be. You might like, even get hit with the exactly. belt for talking. Like exactly. <laughs> like, why are you trying to disrupt? You trying to cause me to lose my job? Exactly. Stop that craziness. Yeah. And you're not even understanding. Like, you know, and I mean, we, I'm joking, but I'm being in all seriousness mm-hmm. that at, at and on some realness, like that is something that has prevalently take place, taken place in somebody's home. Yeah. They have straight up into their parent 
And like, I'm tired of this school. I'm tired of this life. I'm feeling like killing myself. Oh, cut it out. Just go and take a hot shower and just get over it. It's mm-hmm. not that serious. You're, you're doing too much. Yeah. You know, just leave it alone already. You know, it, it, all of the things that the dismissive. Yeah. Dismissive is the word. You're, you're missing dismissing. You know, you're dismissing what they're coming and saying to you. And it, it's kind of like you said, when we was talking about offline, everybody in the world wants to be seen, heard, and acknowledged. Mm-hmm. So if you dismiss hearing them, you're not going to see that this person is crying out for help, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not going to see it if you're not listening to them, meaning you don't see it. And once you get to the point of, by the time you have accepted that this is what's going on, it may be too late. Yeah. And I think that that's usually the case. It's usually too late. And then it's at that point where, you know, the parents start realizing that, like, wow, my child has been telling me that they hated school so much, that they were getting bullied, that they didn't want this, they didn't want that. And I just thought that, you know, they were just being children. And then now that action infects the parent now because Mm -hmm. now mental health has become very infectious yeah it's very infectious it's no different than the common cold you have a lot of people in one household that are all sick Mm -hmm. that are all sick but just on different plateaus of it you might have one one person who have a little ptsd from witnessing some level of trauma uh might have someone who's suffering in silence from anxiety from trying to be the best in the household, meaning the, the one who gets all the A's mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. fighting on a daily basis not to bring home a B, you know. And then you have the one who's quiet and you just look at that one. Oh, it's just a reserved child. No, this child is severely depressed. Yeah. yeah. And, and you don't even recognize it because you just think, oh, that's just the quiet child who doesn't give me a headache. Mm-hmm. That's the golden child. And that's the one you need to really be watching, yeah. the one that's the, the most quiet. Yeah. You know, they used to say that, you know, watch that quiet one. That's mm-hmm. the one that jump on you, you know. So, but that's the one that you most likely needs the most attention. The one that's behaving too much in silence yeah. because they're looking at it. No yeah. one's going to see me, hear me, or acknowledge me. And, and with everything we're going on right now, all adults are being challenged with that. These children are telling you, I need you to see me, hear me, and acknowledge me. I don't have my peers who normally did this for me on a daily basis. I don't even have my teachers who played the role of my educated parent for those six to eight hours to give me that morning hug or acknowledge me. And now I'm stuck with someone for how long this is going to take who hasn't done this at all. Yeah. So now with the numbers being um, really high for African-American, you know, young males, um, I mean, it's it's almost silly to ask, you know, what are what are the contributing factors? Like, why are there more young male black males affected, um, you know, with with this, with the suicide um, rates as opposed to young um, black females. Um, but you know, it's, it's for me, I might have an understanding, but I guess there might be those who might wonder, you know, why is it the young black boys that seem to have such a high, higher rate of suicide within the communities as opposed to the girls? Um, so if you could just maybe talk a little bit about what, I guess, what contributes to those, to those statistics. Well, a lot of that, when it comes to, um, 
males in general, especially depending on what type of male you're witnessing mm -hmm. around you, whether it's outside of your home or within your home. So say for instance, you're, you're a kid who you're uh, just, it's just you. You don't have any other siblings. It's just you and your mother's a single parent and you don't have another male to actually mirror. Right. So this is a kid who's most likely suffering in silence as a young male developing. And he's ashamed or afraid to come to his mother and talk about things that he may feel only a man would understand. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of these boys are in the street running around boys growing up to be men and we have a lot of men who grew up to be men with the behavior of a boy because no one acknowledged the things that were taking place in them as young boys growing up to be men mm -hmm. as as like i said before most of the time girls are a lot more nurturing they're hugging each other uh they're they're it's like biologically in their DNA to be more so emotionally connected. Whereas most men in some communities are raised not even to be allowed to cry. So when you take something God given away from them to cry, to show an emotion as tears, imagine if they were suffering in silence saying, you know, I'm depressed. Oh, cut that out. Like, what are you a girl? You're crying yeah. like a girl. All of those, the judgmental comments that they're being, they're afraid. They're ashamed and afraid that someone may say about them. Mm -hmm. So they tend to act a little bit more on the abrasive side than actually on the sensitive side. I had a client of mine that I have with my current job. Uh, someone very close to him passed away through to this. And I'm talking to him on the phone and he's, you know, trying to hold it together. He's talking, uh, as he said, that's a street vernacular. Mm -hmm. But then he emailed me and said, you know what, uh, Miss Kim, I have to be honest with you. I'm not as tough as I come across on the phone. Me losing this gentleman is something that hurt me a lot. He was the closest thing to a father figure I had. And I'm reaching out to you because I need help with how to process how I'm feeling about this because I'm starting to snap at people in my workplace. But he was not able to tell me that verbally over the phone. But at least he had enough where we have like a, a open door policy I give to my clients mm -hmm. to however you need to communicate with me to get some sort of coping mechanism, then make that happen. Because right then and there is where, like I said, somebody in his life told him, uh, you know, to show that type of side emotionally wise is to bring you lower than being a man. Mm. Where he couldn't even tell me verbally over the phone, but he knew he was starting to feel it on a depressive side that he needed some sort of help. So I was able to provide him with some services. And uh, one of them is that I provide uh, text therapy. Okay. I have like uh, on my days off, sometimes I provide text therapy where if you're having a hard time with talking to someone verbally or face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. that's the new age conversational yeah. way of the world. So we'll text for like 15 minutes, 30 minutes is the limit. Because uh, I have other people who may be hitting me up, trying to, they're contacting me, trying to get their, their few bit of time. Mm -hmm. And at least he 
he knew, but what it is is that I've already seen him, heard him, and I accept him for who he is. So for him to be comfortable enough to share that with me is why he was, yeah. because I already accept what I see and hear from him as a man. Whereas, you know, some women, that's a whole nother topic, mm -hmm. Retha. You know, we tend to tear our you tend to tear these kings down and wonder why they act like princes and you want a king. Yeah. <laughs> or you, you know, you ask yourself, what are you trying to do here? Whereas mm -hmm. in our communities, a lot of them are taught you the man at a house early on at eight years old. You're telling a boy he's the man at a house. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure in his mind. I find that it's interesting you say that because we are telling these kids at like five, six, seven, eight years old, they're the man of the house. But yet, you know, we still expect them to still be kids at the same time. So I find that that also is a level of confusion where they're like, they got to take care of stuff. But then when they maybe right. try to, you knock them down and say, well, you're a kid like you're you don't have a voice. You can't say this. You can't say that. So it, it, it's, you know, becoming a little more clear as to why I think, especially with young men, the lack of outlets, you know, cre cause them to see suicide as a way out. Right. That's crazy. Right. Right. And, and they take it in a way of, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol and uh, uh, just all types of ways joining mm -hmm. uh, the gangs. Yeah. Gangs looking for some sort of camaraderie or some sort of acceptance. Most kids, most young young people join cliques and gangs looking for outside acceptance mm -hmm. from their home because someone in the home is not accepting them. If he or she wants to wear purple hair, let them wear it. That may not stay for the next month or so. Mm -hmm. That's just who they're choosing to feel like being right then and there. That's mm -hmm. just who they are. And sometimes it's a test to see if you'll even allow it, <laughs> you know, it's true. if you'll even allow it, because they know in their minds, you have your own perception on who you see them to be mm -hmm. and setting, instead of letting them be who they are showing up in the world to be right, right now. And I think that's really important that you say that. I think, especially with the parents who are now forced to learn who their kids are, um, but it's yes. you know, a lot of us, I think it's when we become parents, especially parents, you know, of like middle schoolers, high schoolers, that we really start seeing our upbringing, you know, coming forth. Because even for me, yes. you know, there's a lot of things that when my, when my brother was younger, my mom was like, oh, we don't do hair braiding in this house. And so I used to think that was crazy. But then as my son's like, I want to braid my hair. It's like, what do you mean you want to braid your hair? <laughs> And so right. I think a lot of times we're imposing who, who, like you said, who we, not even who we want them to be, but who we, you know, we were trained to want our kids to look like by our parents. And that's like yes. two, three generations. Now. Generational <laughs> training. Yeah. Generational training. Unsubconsciously, you're becoming your mother, although you may not choose to have became yeah. her. You are. But unfortunately, that's what's driving our kids to do these, you know, these, these, you know, crazy things like take their lives or do things to, you know, get acceptance outside the place because we're not accepting them, you know, in the home. So I think that it's actually very valuable for parents to start really thinking about, you know, during this time where they're stuck in the house with their kids to figure out, you know, what what is the goal here? Right. Like like you said, the purple hair, is that going to kill right. anybody? 
Right. Is it going to kill you? Because more so, you're worrying about your reputation and how you feel about it, it as is. opposed to how this child is feeling about it and how it's going to make him or her feel. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can't have anybody seeing my son with his fingernails painted. Yep. I can't have anybody seeing my daughter wearing pants and everyone in here wears dresses. Mm -hmm. It's all about your personal perception on what you built upon them. You know, and, and that's when they tend to become what they call rebellious yeah. because now it's a control tug of war. Mm -hmm. It's all about control. So when you see a child who attempts suicide or who actually does it, they do it. They take their life to show a level of control. Yeah. Like you may have had control with telling me who not to date or who not to, but you didn't have this much control because look, I killed myself and you cannot stop that. Yeah. And that's so sad that that, that that's where it gets to. Right. Because it's not about, it's not about in the sense, uh, not allowing them to have too much control, but to respect the level of control that they are given with their life, mm -hmm. you know, and that the control that they share around other people that control has levels, yeah. <laughs> control <laughs> has levels. Cannot be out in the street at five o'clock in the morning at five. You're five. Mm -hmm. So I have to control you and your time right now. But when you become 18 to 21, then that level of control belongs to you. So right now I'm trying to groom you on how to master controlling yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking your control. I'm grooming you on how to master controlling yourself. And it's teaching you how to control yourself as well, because even though you're the master, you're still the student at the same time, because mm -hmm. your children can teach you a lot about yourself. Like you yeah. said, you, you started to realize that you were starting to imitate behaviors that were placed upon you that you said you would never want to like impose upon your own children. Mm -hmm. But unsubconsciously, you find up you wind up doing that because you become so frustrated with what they're not doing that you're trying to do different yeah. you go back to what you know yeah it's true it's you so go back true. to what you felt worked for you you yeah. go back what you felt worked for you yeah and that's what it is that's what it is so now I know we had talked a little earlier about you know some of the things that we can look for you know as parents um, some identifying markers of suicide but as like a community since this you know it's a community issue really how can, you know, what can uh -huh. the community do to, you know, identify and, and really help reduce the, 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 you know, the increase or the rate of suicide within our, you know, within our communities, particularly with our young males? Well, for one, um, you know, it's not our, our, the way our set, uh, life is set up nowadays and how communities are set up nowadays, people aren't communicative. They don't really communicate. A lot of people have a lot of fear uh, against the young people. Oh, yeah. Because, again, they're, they're running around without proper control of themselves or how to control themselves. So a lot of them are fearful of approaching them. When I, because uh, I used to work with young people as well, when I approach young people who are outside standing on the corner and they're doing what they're doing, whether it's some sort of drug activity or whatever they're doing, I always salutate them. I always say, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? Y'all ate good today? I said, y'all eating good? I always open up the door with a joke or mm -hmm. some sort of comfortability, right? And, uh, and then I go in 
for the real questions. You know, like, uh, how long you going to be doing this? <laughs> and I don't, and I don't, you know, sugarcoat that. How long you, like, you know, how long you, you going to be doing this? Is this like one or two of them that they always have very much respect for me. And I always ask them, I said, you seem so well-spoken. You know, you have to, again, I meet them right where they're at. There's no guarantee this young man may be a drug dealer for the rest of his life mm-hmm. or someone who's even using drugs. But when they see that somebody acknowledges that that's something that they may not choose to do, but they just don't know how to stop doing that or someone to not guide them in that way, that's all it takes. Mm -hmm. Ask them what it is that they may need because you already see that there is a need. They're Mm -hmm. standing outside when they should be in school uh, using drugs, rolling dice. They're just breaking all types of laws Mm -hmm. with, with no level of respect for control of other people's control, meaning the, the controlling of what the law says. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of them really don't want to be doing that. A lot of them are running outside their homes to get away from the dysfunction inside their homes. Mm-hmm. You know, so the only thing I, I, I suggest with that, go to your local churches, go to your local schools, see what's in place that would allow a child to feel more comfortable outside of their home, outside of their school, to get help from, like I said, peer connections where they're in cliques, they're in gangs. You got to go inside the schools. Okay. You got to go inside the churches. Go inside these local grocers. Hey, can I ask you something? Why do you feel okay with posting up more signs for alcohol and tobacco usage with our children in this neighborhood than posting up good eating, mm-hmm. healthy eating, you know, or Allowing someone to post up a flyer in their store about workshops for children who want to get off the street or workshops to enlighten their minds or something on a positive attribute. Because if you look in a lot of these white communities or a lot of uh, uh, other foreign communities, they take hold of their community. They don't allow certain things for their children to visually witness. Yeah, yeah. They don't allow it. They don't allow it beer and and tobacco usage to be plastered where eventually you become desensitized to these things. It's kind of like normal. Yeah. It's normal for them to see it. And and it's normal for eventually to them to walk in the store and ask for a cigarette or ask, you know, someone to go in the store and buy them a beer or alcoholic beverage and to do it because they've seen it so much within the community, it becomes second nature or eventually they become desensitized to it where they just having a bad day. You know what? Let me get a cigarette. Yeah. You know, uh, let's put some money together and go buy some marijuana. I mean, I know there are communities who have community centers. There are communities that have churches that run programs And then, you know, some schools, not all the schools have, you know, have other, you know, programs, I guess, in place for their kids. But do you think that that's enough just having these, you know, these programs in place? But how do you now, you know, actually reach out to these kids who are Mm -hmm. really being affected and we don't even know it? Right. And you got to hold your your local uh, doctor's office accountable. If you have a, a local doctor's office in the area, hey, do you guys offer mental health training do you guys offer mental health services here oh you don't why is that 
Mm-hmm. And is that something that maybe we could change? You know, there are a lot of children in this area that are very much so affected by some sort of mental disorders. And maybe if we had more places where they could be acknowledged, then this wouldn't be so bad. There's a very low number of psychiatrists and counselors, sad to say, in all areas of the mental health world. There are not enough counselors. There are not enough psych doctors. There are not, uh, not, uh, not a lo- enough psychologists to the point where the first thing they're going to do is give you a pill or give you an injection yeah. to sit you down. But once you do that, they're still not giving them the proper treatment that they need to actually uh, fix the disorder. Because it's not just about giving them something to slow them down, but you want something to slow them down enough to be able to be heard and for them to listen to the coping mechanisms that they need to thrive past their disorder. Some of these disorders are never going to go away. Some Somebody with schizophrenia, you may be able to help them actually, uh, you know, treat the actual symptoms of voices uh, and what they're, they're saying that they're seeing. But if you're not have, they don't have some sort of psych treatment where they're meeting with a counselor, meeting with a therapist, some sort of uh, cognitive behavior. Because cognitive behavior, if that's implemented within a child young, Mm -hmm. that can go a long way to help them towards their teens and their young adulthood. Whereas by the time they're 26 years old, you might have been able to nip something like anxiety, which turns into depression, which turns into suicidal ideation to an actual suicide attempt. And it's interesting, you know, what you said about there not being enough psychologists, because I feel like, you know, maybe it's because it's social media, everybody is a therapist or whatever. You know, I feel like there are so many out there, but I guess they're not going into the communities and really doing the work. Well, a lot of them are scared, Retha. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of them are scared. Let's be. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah, that's true too. And and because there's not enough um, black and brown people in the field, then you have to turn in turn take your child to a place where the doctor may be someone of of white descent. And then this child, and even you as the parent, may say, you know, how can I bring my child to speak with this white doctor? Because this is where the stigma comes from again with our generation of of people and upbringing. How could this white doctor help my black child? They don't understand the challenges of a black person. They don't understand what's going on with living in these communities. They don't understand the stress of being a black single parent and raising this black boy. How can this white doctor help me, right? So that's one of the reasons why we will not seek attention. For this type of situation, because the first thing you're going to say is that this person cannot help me because they don't understand what it's like to be black. And what they tend to fail to realize has nothing to do with race. This disorder has nothing to do with race. You could put a black and a white person or Asian or a person of any other descent in the same room with the same disorder and they'll be able to conversate and connect oh you hearing voices oh my god how long you been hearing voices i've been hearing voices since i was five but i've been scared to tell my mother because i thought that she may say i'm crazy and send me away yeah so 
different races in the same room with the same diagnosis. It has nothing to do with a, a race card at all. But because, like I said, we always go back to the upbringing of our generations, that'll be one of the things that you can go in there and say. Now, I'm not trying to say some of that may not be prevalent because that can be true. That can be true. When you have a child or a generational family where everybody was brought up on public assistance Mm -hmm. and all they know or witness is people who are are not working or who've always lived and survived off the system. So they're surrounded around nothing but low educated and hopeless and despair people. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't see no more than that. Yeah. So they become hopeless and despair people. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to say, I really don't want to live like this, but this is all I know. Yeah. How could you help me not live like that? If you've never lived like this. Yeah. It's true. Like, how could you identify? Like, how do you know, like, the struggle? You can't tell me anything about what's happening here. You know? So, yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah. You don't get to tell, you don't get to hear about me if you can't help me. Meaning, because you're not me. You don't identify with me. You don't identify what it's like to live in an area where you hear gunshots every night or when you hear uh, the police or you walking home and you're an innocent person who's never committed a crime and you see someone get arrested or all of the things. And now it's not even gender bias anymore. You have women getting assaulted by the police Mm -hmm. now. Okay. So a lot of people are scared to even take their children to a doctor because the first thing, Oh, you got me sitting in here talking with these white people, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Because yeah. you act up in school, you don't want to listen. You got me sitting in here losing one of my jobs, possibly, possibly yeah. sitting in here talking to these white people. And underlying, the mother needs to get a little help herself. Yeah. Because if she would have had a little help, she would not even look at it like that. Mm-hmm. She would not even address it like that. Listen, these people are going to help you. Maybe they can help me too. And we can get help together. We could do family therapy sessions. Yeah. But let's get you some help first because you're the one who seems that you, you've lost control of yourself and you're saying that you're sad and, and I want to see you, un, you know, not be unhappy, but happy accepting who you are. That's the approach they need to hear that I accept the fact that you're saying that you're depressed. And I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying you may need help with. And, and there's no judgment here. Because that's the biggest thing that you could go wrong with doing with someone who's a possible case of attempting a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. You could yeah. judge them for feeling like that. But I guess it goes back to now then, I guess, school systems, right? Because the kids spend most of their life really inside of a classroom, inside of the, the, the educational institution. And if they are with a parent who, you know, works two, three jobs, is never really around to even pick up on any of this stuff, then I guess it would be the teachers or whatever support staff that I guess would be, I guess, the frontliners in a sense of maybe identifying a child that might be going right. on some sort of suicide. But from what I understand, you know, the school systems, unfortunately, I guess with lack of funding and stuff, you know, I have a friend who is a school psychologist and he's like, not every kid can see me because of the way that, you know, things are set up. Right. So I guess that, you know, at the end of the day, 
especially as we're seeing it with this COVID-19 situation, that it's really the schools, it's the institution of the schools that are really the front line when it comes to our kids in so many ways, you know, than one. Well, one of the things that I know uh, with my daughter's school, they had, because they're, like I said, there's such a shortage of, of actual doctors in that field. So, one of the strategies that uh, she came up with is actually being willing to teach parents basic coping mechanisms, basic signs to look out for, mm -hmm. because it's the little things that turn into the big things. As they say, you know, little things mean a lot or they go a long way. It's the little things. So she started uh, doing workshops where she didn't just leave it to a parent. She said, listen, hey, anybody who's willing to come and receive this information as a representative for your family is welcome. Mm -hmm. It's not a long workshop. It's maybe one hour. Sometimes it would be two hours, but it would be enough information verbally and actually written notices that she would give out on things to look out for mm -hmm. with uh, your children in the home. Especially for, like you said, parents who are working two and three jobs just to make ends meet. And they're just tired themselves. They're mentally burned out and overwhelmed themselves. So a lot of times it's nothing personal yeah. with the child, but they just don't have the energy to, or they, you know, make the decision to not invest the energy in mm -hmm. even listening to how this child's day was. Did you do your homework? Yay. You got them clothes laid out for the next day. Yep. <laughs> okay. Make sure you washed up and in that bed by eight o'clock. That's it. <laughs> That's the whole conversation. You didn't ask if this child was okay. Did anybody bother you today? How was the test you took? Nothing. Just yeah. dismissive. Yeah. It's sad. So I guess now, you know, we're in this COVID-19 situation. We don't know when we're going to get out of it. You know, we're locked up ourselves. We're locked up with our kids. Uh, we're locked up with, you know, we're just, you know, we're just in isolation right now. Now, I guess, what are some, I guess, coping mechanisms that you would, you know, share for, you know, not just the parents, not just kids, because there's a wide variety of people who listen to this show. But for people who are feeling that, you know, they are on the brink of a mental health crisis in their households, like it might not be you know, a real crisis, but they just, you know, this is not normal for anybody. So everybody is feeling some sort of anxiety, but what could we do while we're at home to maintain our mental, you know, sanity? Uh, I know with uh, some of the people that I talk to through text, breathe. The first thing I say is breathe, mm -hmm. you know, because this is what's going on here. You know, put your hand on your chest. Close your eyes and say, thank you. I'm still breathing. Mm -hmm. And how many, and you know, even if you got to keep saying it for the first 30 seconds or 20 seconds, uh, just say, thank you. I'm still breathing, you know, and it'll calm you down. It'll help calm you down and it'll help change you to focus on something other than the outside world and help you maintain the world that you live in with, which is your house, yeah. your home. Uh, the house inside yourself, you know, I'm still here. I'm still breathing. I'm still here and I'm still breathing. What am I going to choose to do with these next few breaths? Mm -hmm. What is it that I I've been wanting to do? 
with these next few breaths. Maybe I will just go in there and, you know, try to work on that puzzle that's been sitting on the table. Maybe I'll start to write about who I am and how far I've gotten with this situation, how I'm coping to where um, I have an acronym I share with a lot of my patients and clients where I, I say, make sure that you're giving someone else a spoonful of hope mm. where you're helping someone other than yourself evolve. Yeah. So you're helping other people evolve. So you're helping yourself help someone else evolve. That is what they, the yin and yang to someone who's dealing with depression and someone who's dealing with anxiety. You challenge yourself to do something different than what you're doing. Hey, you can't go get the nails done. Amazon is selling press-ons. Or try to do your own (laughs) nails. It'll bring you back to reality. (laughs) You know, it'll bring you back to reality of things. And you'll be like, wow, I could have did this myself. It'll Mm -hmm. actually like spark creativity in you. And it'll it'll bring the you that's possibly been wanting to come out. Yeah. But with all that's been going on, with your overwhelming job, with your hectic lifestyle, now you're in the house with you. It'll give you time to build the relationship with the most important person in your life, and that is you. Yeah. It'll give you time to get to know you, the real you. No lashes, no wigs, no weaves, no nothing ladies out there. You know, some of y'all men, you've been wanting to see if you can grow that beard. It's coming. It's, it's time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> nobody but you is seeing it. You may like it, you know. It just takes some time to do a lot of self care. Yeah, you know, make sure that you're focusing about how you're thinking and how you're feeling, because all of those things is gonna decipher how you're showing up in the world that you're not stuck in, because we're not stuck. Yeah, that's true. you know, we're not. St- we're on pause. I tell my people, we on pause. <laughs> I'm pause for a little bit. No yeah. socializing in, 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 the, in the happy hours. and the, You're on pause from all of those things from right now. Yeah. And all of that, that's a good thing. Sometimes it's like if you put the movie on pause because you got to go to the bathroom. Or you put the movie on pause, you go make a sandwich or you take a, an important phone call. Mm-hmm. You're on pause right now to do some things that matter to you. Because that's one of the biggest things with people in mental health they struggle with on a daily basis is making sure that they remember that they do matter. Mm-hmm. That they do matter. Mental health does matter. You know, don't let anybody tell you because you're a little depressed right now that you don't matter. I will, I will go on record and say this to, to, today. You know, people look at me as the work that I do and say, well, you know, how could you just be doing this so easily? Because I understand it on a professional level and a personal level. I myself have anxiety and depression. And I am challenged with it on a moment-to-moment basis. And these are steps and and things that I use to cope with on a daily basis. One of them is humor. You know, I'm very humorous. (laughs) I'm being very serious with my clients. That's why they like me a lot. Um, But then we get down to the nitty-gritty of things of making sure that they're checking in on themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I say, put a check on you before somebody else puts a cross on you. Mm. You know, check yourself. Don't let somebody else do that. Don't let somebody do something to you that is all rights given to you. Don't break, you know, don't let somebody break your heart. It belongs to you. If you want to break it, then it's yours. Then you can do that. 
But always make sure you have control over yourself and that you're taking care of yourself. Nobody knows what you like more than you. That is true. So always do a lot of, you know, checking in on yourself. A lot of a lot of what's happening now is forcing people to have to check themselves and have to take care of themselves mm-hmm. when they're, they've gotten comfortable with other people checking on them and doing things for them. Now you're in a in an uncomfortable position and you feel very uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And it just gives you an outlet to figure out it's a challenge. You got to challenge your challenges. Everybody is one at something in life Mm -hmm. and has, you know, this is just a small challenge compared to some of the other challenges in your life. And I always tell people reflect back to when you became a person who won before you knew you was winning. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is what this has given us time to do. Yeah. Doing your own hair again, doing your nails, making your own spots. People are becoming very creative right about now. <laughs> I'm no seeing choice. so many no things on how people are becoming very creative <laughs> because of right now. You know, yeah. spending time with your children. TikTok is off the charts right now <laughs> with so many things. So people are, you know. Are, are becoming more in touch with their children. Probably would have never did something like that with mm-hmm. TikTok at one point. But because they're so bored or just are in tune with themselves and their children, this is something that's going to actually, in a sense, move forward with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a lot of people you together. You love somebody. Yeah, because yeah, most people, you love your children, but you may now have become in love with them. Mm-hmm. You may have loved being in your bed and not had enough time to spend time in it. Or you may have loved how you've decorated your home, but you never really got enough time to actually, you know, bask upon what you have spent your money on. Like, wow, you know, this is all right. Yeah. Sit up in this this couch for a little while and quarantine and chill alone. Mm -hmm. Or if you got a relationship, you know, quarantine and some chilling. Or you could just be chilling while you're in quarantine, just relaxing on your, on your own time. Because right now, we're actually on our own time. A lot of people who are working remotely from home, ain't, no, ain't nobody boss on their back or, you know, <laughs> rushing to... <laughs> you know, it, it's a lot. You don't have to put on a bunch of clothes. and You can be who you really genuinely are. I, you know how many meetings if I'm in, I'm looking like... This, I mean, except covered in a hijab, but mm-hmm. you know, but I'm coming to them like dressed up office wear. No, it's a t shirt and the headset. That's it. <laughs> because this is who I am in my own space. Yeah. You know, oh, so man. it just gives you time to go back to being in the best relationship you can have, and that's with yourself. J- just before we like we end Good things, house. there's like a couple of websites I would like to address yeah. people oh, yeah. that they can go to. Um so there's one organization that I'm a part of called NAMI. It's the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Basically, they have any and everything that if you're interested in seeking mental help, <clears throat> seeking mental help, or just becoming more uh, educated, where they they actually have a few um, classes that they're offering to parents and for children who would like to seek training on how to help themselves or help others. 
Um, there's another one called um, SAMHSA. It's mm-hmm. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So basically, if you have a child or if you know of someone who has what they call a duality, where they have a substance abuse disorder along with a mental health disorder, they have all types of parent uh, programs up there that they oh. would they would like they direct you on getting help. So basically, they off. They also offer training, or if you want to have training placed in your community, like someone like myself, like mm-hmm. I could come here. Like I would come to your community, or they would send somebody. They have mentor programs. If you're say a parent who or a loved one who has someone who is challenged with mental disorders, and you just need someone that you can talk to and text with. Uh, you can go on NAMI's website and you put your email and they'll email you back and connect you with someone who can mentor you through the process because they themselves have already been through that. I'm actually a mentor to like one or two people. Um, And, you know, you just got to just stay strong. And what about with yourself? Like, so I, um, you know, do you have any contact information that you would like to share if somebody wants to get in contact with you specifically to say, you know what I really like, you know what I heard today. I really want to get in contact with her and see if she can come do trainings for our community or if I can maybe, you know, have her as my counselor. Um, would you have information that you can share? They can email me at uh, chemical599 at gmail, which is K-I-M-I-C-A-L 599 at gmail.com okay and um they can hit me up or they can contact me to where like if they want to get the number for my uh talk text because i also Mm -hmm. do it through email Mm -hmm. uh because i deal with some women who are in domestic violence situations so sometimes Mm -hmm. they cannot be on the phone talking to me so we'll have like a text session where we'll text back and forth uh, and maybe if, well, before this happened, I would meet up with them somewhere and we would maybe build a strategy for an exit plan or anything like that. Or if it's on the mental health platform, I can assist them with, if they have issues with insurance or how to possibly go somewhere and get free assistance. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll go that far. And yes, I actually do sometimes when I'm not working my day job, uh, <laughs> to pay for some of the things that I fund through all of this that I do. Uh, I actually do uh, do guest appearances where I come out and speak. So they can hit me up at my email. It's K-I-M-I-C-A-L 599 at gmail.com. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Kim, for this really, really important and just needed conversation. I definitely would want to have you back on the show to do a follow-up. I mean... This issue of mental health is just ongoing, so I I definitely feel like we'll have so much more to talk about, especially after COVID. I mean, after the fact, yes, after the fact. There's definitely going to be a lot of post-op conversation, a lot of post-op. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. Kim, again, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. And Thank with you, that, Rita. You're welcome. And with that being said, everyone, we'll talk to you guys next week. You were listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. Time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. I can't wait to come back. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's all online. WJMS.